Father, that is just true. We sing your praise now and for all those who have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, repented of their sin. God, one day we will sing that with you forever. That's awesome. And Lord, thank you for giving us the privilege of having a taste of that right now. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would be exalted over all in this service, over all of our idols, you would bring them low. Over all of our concerns, we would cast them on you. Over all of our desires, we would humble ourselves under you now to say your way, Lord, your way and not our own, whatever you want. And Lord, I pray that every heart here would be so teachable, so humbled under the authority of your word this morning that we can't help but leave here wanting to change and being changed from one degree of glory to the next. God, would you do this in our hearts? Help us to listen attentively today and faithfully. Let not one word that is sown today not hit the ground. But Lord, be embedded and sown deep within our hearts. Lord, do this. We need you so much. Humble us in the glory of your presence today. We are a people in need of a touch of eternity. And so, Lord, have your way. May that be the anthem of our heart, Christ over all. Christ over all. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Lord, be with my mouth now. Let not one word that is uttered be not of you. Father, I ask for that so much. I need your help. Help me to speak from you and be carried by your spirit for the glory of your name. If you agree, church, in Jesus' name, say amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, church, it is wonderful to be here with you this morning. This is such an exciting day. Every Sunday we get together is an exciting day. Amen? Amen. Love that. Love the zeal. Every Sunday we get together is an exciting day. But there's always something additionally special about when you kick off a new series. Okay? We just finished a a series on God's glory in the church. And we looked at these four pillars and our foundation on Jesus Christ. of What does God want his church to be that we see in scripture? And now today as an outflow of that. So we did God's glory in the church. And now we kick off a new series called God's glory in the nation. God's glory in the nation. And we will be looking at over the next four weeks by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will be looking at how the Lord calls his people to be mobilized through the gospel of Jesus Christ, to engage the culture in which we live, to see his glory and dominion established in it. That's the whole purpose of this series. And by God's grace, I believe it will be one of the most powerful ones that we have ever had. So we will be looking at Psalm 72. Today, the title of this message is From Sea to Sea. Psalm 72, 1 to 8. If you do not have a Bible, we want to put one in your hand. We believe God's word speaks We believe it's our authority, and so we need to have it in front of us. And so if you do not have a Bible, put up your hand. Our ushers are coming up right now. We'd love to put one in front of you to follow along. And if you do not have a Bible at home, keep that as a gift from us to you so you can continue to come face-to-face with the living God every single day on your own. Psalm 72, 1 to 8 and 11. And as I was thinking about the significance of launching this series on Canada Day weekend, 
There is perhaps no greater way to kick off this series than with a recognition of our country's own national model, which was given to us July 1st, 1867, 150 years ago, by a father of confederation, Samuel Leonard Tilly, a born-again Christian who wanted to see Christ exalted in this nation. And it is this, by the way, this is etched on the very windows of our own parliament buildings that we pass by every day. And it says, the Latin phrase for our country's motto is this, amare usque admare. You say that with me? That's pretty cool. Amare Usque admare. What that means is from sea to sea. To expand on that, it's taken from Psalm 72, 8, which we will look at in part of our text for today. It means he shall have dominion from sea to sea. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. How awesome is that to have on our parliament building? That's the motto of our nation. And this sets the tone for this entire series that we're going through. You say, well, wait a second. I mean, it's on our own parliament buildings. We're in a Christian nation. Why is this series so important? Uh, Because there's a problem. I think you know where I'm going on this. There's a problem. We aren't living in a predominantly Christian nation anymore. Let's Let's just make that a reality. I was in a lunch with a number of pastors recently, and one of them said it well, and it stuck with me. He says, we are living on the the shards of what used to be a Christian nation. We live in a nation that is trying to push God's authority out of every sphere of the public square and now more recently our own private lives as well. And I love Canada. I love how God has blessed and continues to bless this nation, but that's the reality we face. Uh, theologian and Baptist minister Carl Henry put it this way when speaking of the wet church and the Western, and Western culture as a whole. He said, you'll see it on the screen, our generation is lost to the truth of God, to the reality of divine revelation, to the content of God's will, to the power of his redemption, and to the authority of his word. For this loss, it is paying dearly into a swift relapse into paganism. Just let that soak for a moment. He said that many years ago. And as Christians, we can see this happening around us. And it's so easy to fall into this mindset of, is there really any hope for God to redeem this nation? I mean, honestly, what can the church do against what seems to be an onslaught of the kingdom of hell pressing in against our nation what can the church honestly do is there any hope look at i'm not talking about god being able to redeem the nation i'm just trying to make it through next week and we can often say because we know god's word if we spend any time studying it we can often say well yes yes there's hope for the nation there's hope for the nation but hey hey hey, challenge challenge do your lives reflect that in how you live when you hit the streets to share the gospel? Does knowledge translate into action by the Holy Spirit? That's the test. And loved ones, the answer that we see to this question, is there any hope for our nation for God to redeem this? Will we really see his dominion established from sea to sea? Do we really believe that? The answer is a resounding yes, based on the authority of God's word. 
It is a resounding yes. I don't know about you. These are some of the most exciting days to live in as a Christian. You say, why? It's getting darker. Oh, 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 oh. It's getting darker out there. Guess what happens when it gets darker? I wish we could tell our lighting team, but that would create havoc to turn off all these lights right now. And then we'll see what happens when one light is shone in the darkness. The light shines brighter and the darkness has to move because light and darkness cannot occupy the same space. The darkness always gets pushed out. It is an exciting, exciting day. And here in Psalm 72, we see God's people crying out to him to see his glory established in and through their nation as they were faced with the same questions we are faced with today. Hey, what's this nation going to look like? Will God's glory be seen in and through it? I mean, what's our role as God's people in that? And from this, we see three essential actions that we must commit to as God's people for seeing his glory established in our nation now and ultimately setting the stage and pointing us to the one who will establish it from sea to sea for eternity. I don't know about you, I'm pretty fired up about God's words. Let's stand to read it. We're going to read our text today. Let's stand to honor the word and the authority of scripture. Give the king your justice, Psalm 72, starting in verse 1. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. What a beautiful picture. In his days, may the righteous flourish, and peace abound till the moon be no more. Verse 8, may he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Verse 11, may all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, see there, to see God's glory in our nation, we must first off is this, pray for godly character to govern over it. Pray for godly character to govern over it. Look at verses one to four. In verse one, it says this, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Okay, two terms there mean the same person. King, give the king your justice and your righteousness to the royal son. That's the same person. What we need to understand here, get some context, is this same person is King Solomon. This is his coronation day. He is the son of the line of David, King David, the greatest human king in Israel's history, is his father. King David has now passed the throne to King Solomon, and this is his coronation day. How cool is that, that just on Canada Day weekend, the coronation of our nation 150 years ago, we're now talking about the coronation of one of the greatest human kings that lived for all time. And notice this, he's taking kingship, and what's the first thing the people do? Look in verse 1. What's the first thing? They pray a prayer of dependency. Do you see that? Give the king your justice. Give him your righteousness. 
They knew that without the power of God, we have to understand this, without the power of God supporting Solomon, there is no way he could be faithful to lead them in the ways of the Lord and have God's blessing. He needed the power of God. This is a prayer of dependency. God's righteousness needed to govern the heart and mind of the king. And it was literally impossible, as it was for him, as it is for us today. It's literally impossible for the king to do this on his own. He needed supernatural power that could only come from the one true and living God. It was impossible. The people recognized this. There's no way this guy's going to be faithful without godly character. So instead of telling him, Solomon, we want you to do this, we want you to do this, we want you to put more rules down for growing crops and family, he said, pray for godly character. Lord, help the king. And you see there where he says, give the king your justice, just so we're on the same page, we're going to do a little word study here for a moment. The Hebrew word for justice there means God's wisdom or decisions. So give the king your wisdom, give the king your decisions. And the word righteousness there, he says, and your righteousness to the royal son, the Hebrew there for that is what's right or what's fair in God's eyes. So let's insert those in and we'll get the prayer. Give the king your wisdom and your decisions, O God. Do what is right or fair in your eyes. Okay? All on the same page. And you say, why is this so important? Why are they praying for justice? Why are they praying for righteousness? Because this, loved ones, everything else that they are about to petition God for in the next seven verses and the extension to all the way to verse 19, everything else they're about to petition God for in the life of their nation depends on these two things. Everything. These were the two most important qualities the king needed to have and that we need to have in individual lives as followers of Christ, but also we need to be praying for in our leaders as God's representatives because everything else that they're about to petition flows out of these two things, justice and righteousness of God in godly character. God's blessing, if I could sum that up, verse this way, God's blessing always flows out of God's character. God's blessing flows out of God's character. This is what the people of Israel are realizing right here. And it brings to mind this truth for today for us. What you put first will always order the rest. It wasn't like, hey God, give our king the ability to not raise our taxes. Give him... You know, uh, uh, not, not a big house so that more money can go into different things. They said, give them godly character because what you put first always orders the rest. Godly character will order a godly pursuit. And so we just have to stop right at verse one. I love scripture. Eh? You read one verse and it's like, bam! Love it. How about you? How about me? Are you and I taking the time to pray for our leaders in this way? Asking them for God, asking the Lord to give them godly character. What are we asking the Lord for to give them? Instead, sadly, instead of asking for the character of God in our leaders, we settle for saying things like this. We want leaders who give us uh, too often more jobs. Lord, give us more jobs. Uh, give us more rights, give us more money in our pockets and more things that can serve us and our desires above the Lord's. And as a result, we spent, you notice this? 
even as Christians, we spend more time protesting leaders than praying for them. That's unacceptable for a follower of Jesus Christ. In love, I say that, church. That is unacceptable. In love, I need to say this to us as a church. God's word tells us over and over, it is a sin to do that. And we need to repent of that if that is us. Spend more time protesting our leaders than praying for them when God calls us to do that. How about asking the Lord instead of what our leaders can give us and do things that we like? How about this? How about asking the Lord instead for godly character in them where they are filled with his wisdom, courage, strength, compassion, and love for him and the people they've been called to care for as his representatives here on earth? Because here's the reality. What you put first orders the rest. And the truth is this. When hearts reflect the character of God, hearts will reflect the concerns of God. When hearts reflect the character of God, hearts will reflect the concerns of God. If there's injustice, a heart that's bent on godly character will reflect the concern for justice that is needed. What's on God's heart is on yours. And this isn't just for our leaders, it's for us as well. And some of you may be here saying, well, I don't see that happening anytime soon. I mean, I mean, you know, Pastor Ray, have you, have you seen what's going on? I mean, I don't think prayer is going to help that. I don't, I mean, can re- prayer really, can prayer really make that much of a difference? Can it really make that much of a difference? And when I hear that argument, let's just go back to scripture. It's not my job to convince you. That's the Spirit's job. To that argument, I say this. Proverbs 21.1, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It says this, The king's heart, that is the leader's heart, is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. How does that fuel your prayers for our leaders? That takes the protest out of your heart and leads to petition very quickly. Knowing That this verse right here is one of the greatest truths of God's sovereignty in who he chooses to rule and govern the nation. But it's not just a picture of God's sovereignty. It is one of the greatest pictures of the hope that we have that as we petition God on behalf of our leaders, he will turn their hearts wherever he will. Because here's the reality of this. You say, but that's prayer. That's prayer. Hey, 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 don't knock prayer. Spurgeon said this. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the omnipotent muscle of God. Yes. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the omnipotent muscle of God. And for some reason, in God's wisdom, he chooses so often to limit his power that is shown to the prayers of his people. You notice this? All throughout scripture, his people pray, God responds. Prayerlessness? Where's the Lord? Where's the Lord? Lord, what are you doing? How are you praying for them? And it's not for us, loved ones, to judge when it should happen or how, but it is on us as God's people to be faithful to pray and not stop. And you say, well, why is this so important? What's the outflow? Praise God, his word tells us 
two things that we see in this text, and this is just a snapshot, two things that we see in this text happens as we pray for godly character in our nation. Check this out, verses two to four. First off, we see it's justice happens for the oppressed as we pray for godly character in our leaders. Justice happens for the oppressed. Look at verses two and four. May he, that's the king, may he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Look at verse four. May he, the king again, defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. You see, three times in these two verses, they pray and they see what happens, the outflow of godly character, justice and deliverance for the oppressed and the poor. That word deliverance means to rescue the Hebrew, to rescue the poor and the marginalized. See, here's here's what we see. All throughout the Bible, God has a passion for the poor and for seeking justice on their behalf. He has a passion for the poor and for seeking justice on their behalf from the hands of their oppressors who would take advantage of them. God has commissioned, see this? God has commissioned the king. God has commissioned the rulers to act on his behalf towards the weak in this way. It's part of their role that he's commissioned them as his representatives. So the first thing we see is justice. Second thing, two outflows. The second outflow of godly character is this, well-being in the nation. Well-being in the nation. Look at verse three. We've got justice. Now let's look. Let mountains Bear prosperity for the people and hills in righteousness. You see, let's get some clarity. That word prosperity there, the Hebrew for that is, you'll probably have heard this before, shalom. You know what shalom is? Peace. Peace. Let the mountains bear peace for the people. What's that the picture of, loved ones? Here it is. The picture here is the mountains, hills is the picture of the whole land at peace. The whole nation at peace of Israel. And as the king ruled with God's wisdom and justice, the inevitable result would be well-being in the land. God's justice leads to God's blessing on the land. And we have to understand this. I love this picture. And I got, you know, I talked to you a little bit about the incredible evangelistic outreach that we did yesterday. Oh, so good. Oh, Lord. Story after story. But here's the thing. Here's the thing with that. I looked at that and I'm seeing 50,000 gospel tracts get handed out. You know what I, and I said this to our setup team this morning. I said, it was just like a fertilization of the gospel all over the place. That was amazing. And Spurgeon, it was so cool because Charles Spurgeon said it this way, God's justice, that is the righteousness of God, the wisdom of God is like the fertilizer of lands. How awesome is that? God's justice is the fertilizer of lands. As it goes out, it passes, it spreads to the well-being of the nation. And it's the picture of the original land of God, the Garden of Eden, where there was no sin. Before the fall, there was just peace. Animals and humans laying down together. God walking in complete intimacy with Adam and Eve. There's the picture of Eden. It's beautiful. God's character leading to God's justice always leads to God's blessing on a nation that will display his glory. Let me ask you a question. Are you praying for our leaders? You say, this can never happen again. Really? Really? Just wait. We're going to get to the next part of the text. All right? Are you praying? 
To see God's glory in the nation, we must pray for godly character in our leaders that govern over it. And with that, we must pray for ourselves that we would live with a fear of the Lord that will endure within it. Look at verses five to seven. Pray for a fear of the Lord to endure within it. Look at verse five to seven. May they, now here's the people, prayer shifts to us. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like shower, just picture this, showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish. There's the people again, righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. See, the people now turn their prayers towards themselves who will be under the king's rule, receiving the result of his rule. And they are asking that as the king pursues the Lord and God's righteous rule over them, that his reign would be blessed. Who wouldn't want to ask for that when the king's pursuing the Lord? That his reign would be blessed and endure throughout all generations, not just their own. Not just their own. And notice in verse 5 there where he says, may they fear you. We've got we to clarify something. We get a whole bunch of pictures that conjure up in our minds when we hear that word. The Hebrew word for fear means, ready for this? Love it. Awe. Awe. May they be in awe of you. To, it means to honor or obey or submit to. May they be in the fear of you. And notice this. This is beautiful. What they are praying here is the single most important impact of righteous reign. It leads us to live in a fear of the Lord. Because ultimately, yes, it's may they be in living in the fear of the king to honor and obey him. But it's ultimately a picture of a fear of the Lord. Living in a fear of the Lord that allows us, by the grace of God, to submit and honor the kings that he chooses to put in place. Huge implications. And the people were praying that they would show honor and obedience to the king as the Lord's servant. Fearing him out of fearing the Lord. And this, in turn, would lead the king. Notice what happens? What happens when this happens? I don't know, like even parents, right? On a smaller scale. When my son's like, Dad actually don't know what this is like yet, but I'm hoping one day. He's like, dad, I just want to honor you today. What do you think that does for me as a dad? I'm like, I want to be a great dad for you. Like it just fuels you. And that's what he's talking about here. As the, as the king moves in a fear of the Lord with a godly character, the people want to honor him with that. And as the king sees that, he's like, I want to rule rightly. I want to do what's best for these people. This leads the king to want to be a faithful instrument of blessing and refreshment like the showers, not just in the generation of the people he's called to, but notice what they're doing here? Leaving a godly heritage for the next generation. See that? From one generation throughout all generations. I love that. Leaving on a godly legacy, loved ones, is what we are called to do of living in a fear of the Lord. Now picture, picture this. Picture what's going on here. Don't just skip over the text. There is so much in these verses. There's so much peace, blessing, fruitfulness, flourishing, refreshment, and justice in the land that you joyfully, put yourself in here, you joyfully honor, reverence, and obey the king because of his love for you and his righteous rule on your behalf. Would you want that? So, like showers that water the, the grass. 
Just coming blessing of the king, a love of the king, righteousness of the king, justice of the king. Yes, can you just see that? I want to honor you with my life. Do you think, here, here's a question. Do you think that's possible? Is that possible? Spoiler alert. It is possible. And it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And we as believers are called to live in light of that day that it comes. We are called to live in light of that day by living in a fear of the Lord that endures where we are right now. That gives us a glimpse of what that day will be like. And although earthly rulers and authorities can never be perfect in living up to this standard that God calls them to on this side of eternity because of sin, we live in a fallen world, we are still called, loved ones, we are still called to honor and submit to them out of reverence or fear of the Lord and our desire to honor him. And we say, well, wait a sec, how do we, how do, we do that? What does that even look like? This is what this series is going to unpack. I'm going to give you a snapshot of four things. There's so many things God, God's word tells us. But here's four things. Four things, four ways we live in a fear of the Lord towards our leaders and ultimately before the Lord himself. Number one, recognize them as God's servants and humble yourself under them. And everyone goes, ugh! Recognize them as God's servants and humble yourself under them. Look at Romans 13.1. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. Romans 13.1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted or put there by God. They've been put there by God. And everyone starts to get a little shifty. Yeah, totally. They've been put there by God. It is God who put them in authority. And here's the funny thing that hit me when I read this text. You notice this? God didn't ask my opinion. Why wouldn't he ask my opinion? I know how healthcare is supposed to run. I know what he wants. I know what things should be taxed and what shouldn't. I know how much minimum wage should be. God didn't ask my opinion. Funny. Because here's the reality. If we kick back to Proverbs 21.1, he's in total control and he's totally sovereign over everyone he chooses to put in. He will turn the heart the way he desires in response to the prayers of his people. And we have to understand this, as scripture says in Isaiah, his ways are higher than yours and mine. His wisdom is higher than yours or mine. Every time we protest, Instead of preying on these things for our leaders, we're saying, I know better than God of how things are supposed to run. Recognize them as God's servants and humble yourself under them. And listen, listen, qualification. We're going to unpack this later in the next, I think it's the next message in this series. It is this. We are called to humble ourselves under them in every decision that is not forcing us to abandon the authority of Scripture over our lives. That is not forcing us to abandon the authority of Scripture over our lives. That's what we'll unpack next on godly authority as his servants. So the first thing, 
Four ways we live in a fear of the Lord towards our leaders and ultimately before the Lord himself. Number one, recognize them as God's servants. Humble yourself under them. Pride is such a killer. And humility then leads to this. Ready? Pray for them. We looked at that in verse one. Pray for them. Godly character, God's justice, God's righteousness. Pray for them for wisdom, for holiness, and hearts for the Lord. Pray for them for salvation. Pray for them for the character of God in them. Recognize them as God's servants. Humble yourself under them. Leads to prayer for them, which leads to, you notice what happens when you start praying for someone? You start to want to honor them. Leads to honor them with your words and actions. Look at 1 Peter 2.17. He said this, honor the emperor. Pretty clear. Honor the emperor, the ruler. Now, funny thing, you say, well, I mean, that was the early church. Yeah, you know what was going on in the context of that passage? The early church was under the most intense persecution under Emperor Nero in Rome at that time. Emperor Nero hated them. And Rome had just burned down in a fire. And to get people, because people started believing it was Nero who set it, so he could build a bigger kingdom. So what he did, he's like, I got to get the heat off my back. No pun intended. He's like, I got to get the heat off my back. I'm going to turn it and say it was the Christians that did it so that everyone's going to hate them and they're not going to blame me anymore. That's the per- And so people are being killed at the stake. Heads are rolling. You name it. And yet here Peter says, right in the thick of that, honor the emperor. Honor him. With when you're in the coffee shop talking to people. When you're on, here's a big one, social media. Honor him. When you're speaking to your children, there's the godly legacy for the next generation. Teach them to pray for them, not protest them. How about this? When you're talking with your neighbors... Four ways we live in a fear of the Lord towards our leaders out of a fear of the Lord for God himself. Recognize them as God's servants. Humble yourself under them. Number two, pray for them. Number three, honor them with words and actions. Number four, here's, this is beautiful. Humility, see this? Humility leads to prayer. Prayer leads to honor. And honor, guess what it does when you start honoring someone? You give thanks. Leads to thanksgiving. Give thanks for them. 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 2 says this. You'll see it on the screen. Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Thanking God for the leaders who in his sovereignty he has chosen and instituted to rule the nation that he's over. So how about you? How about me? Are you walking in a fear of the Lord in showing honor and obedience to those who God in his wisdom and sovereignty has established to lead us and are his servants on his behalf, his representatives here on earth? Some of you here work in the parliament buildings. There's people in our core group who work for some of the most powerful people in our nation. How are you praying for them? Are you living in a fear of the Lord? Not just because it's a job, but because your heart desires to honor the Lord. See, 
Are, we, are our attitudes and actions leaving a godly legacy for those after us, our children? I love seeing the children right here. I love seeing them across this place. What's the legacy we're leaving for them of how God's glory is to be seen in this nation through our lives? I love how Proverbs 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. Why are we satisfied in a fear of the Lord? Regardless of who gets elected, regardless if we question the Lord, why does it say the fear of the Lord leads to satisfaction? Because our satisfaction comes from the one who's Lord over them. It doesn't come from them. It comes from him. That's why the fear of the Lord leads to us being satisfied regardless of what's going on here. And we pray and we pursue and how God calls us to advance his kingdom as his hands and feet. But we're satisfied in him, not in the next decision or ruling. To see God's glory in the nation, we must pray for godly character to govern over it. To pray for a fear of the Lord in our lives to endure within it. And lastly, to see God's glory in the nation, we must believe Here's faith. This is it. We must believe God's kingdom will advance through it. We must believe God's kingdom will advance through it. Look at verses 8 and 11. Verse 8. May he have dominion, the king have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Verse 11. May all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. See, the prayer of the people now shifts back to the king and the river and to the ends of the earth you see there in verse 8 and from the river to the ends of the earth what he's talking about there the Euphrates river which is one of the main watersheds around Israel and it's saying uh, moving outward from the river to the ends of the earth moving outward from that in the known world at the time and their prayer is this as the king ruled with righteousness and justice of God. The people pray God would his reign across the earth, sea to sea, so that all nations, love this picture, ready? All nations would worship and serve him as his subjects. Not confined to one nation, all nations. As the king rules with the righteousness and justice of God. And here's what we have, this is the climax of this psalm. Here's what we have to realize about this. This psalm is what's called a messianic psalm. So yes, in the direct context, it's talking about King Solomon and the people wanting God's blessing on his reign. But in the greater context, it's pointing to the greater David himself. It looks ahead to another king that will come and another kingdom that will be established, not just in one country, but across the earth from sea to sea. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom that's on the way. It's on the way. Solomon couldn't do that. Not every nation came under Solomon. This is pointing to the one who will. Who will. The king of this dominion, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who came to earth as fully God and fully man, died for our sins, yours and mine, upon a cross, was buried in death and rose again in victory to bring peace and salvation in him to all of those who repent of their sin and who put their faith and trust in him alone as their Lord and Savior. Let me ask you a question. I gotta stop right there. I gotta stop right there. Loved ones, I don't know where you're at. Eyes up here for a moment. I love seeing you take notes. Amazing. Can I just see your eyes for a moment? Serious. Most important question of your life. Have you made this decision to follow him? 
to repent of your sin, to recognize your need for a savior. It is the most important question of your life, the one in which every part of your future hinges upon. It's not just some fairy tale. That restlessness, that longing as I'm talking about when you see godly rule and righteousness and flourishment and blessing coming down, that stirring in your heart, guess what? That's the longing for eternity that God has put in your heart to say, yes, I want that. And it's the lie of the enemy to say, you could never have it. Have you made that decision to follow him? Because here's the reality. Here's the reality, loved ones. Apart from him, this hit me this morning as I was reviewing this message on my front step, looking out at this beautiful trees. Apart from him, this world, hear me, this world is as good as it gets for you. It only goes down from here. This is the closest glimpse of heaven without Jesus Christ that you will get. And as beautiful as nature is, as beautiful as God has made creation, the reality is this, loved ones, this world is a dump compared to what's coming. you have made that decision to follow Jesus Christ and surrendered your life to him here's the question for you take away from today does your life reflect a life that's being lived in the light of that coming day Martin Luther said I have two days on my calendar this day and that one And we are now, by the grace of God, the closest in human history we have ever been to the return of Jesus Christ. Our King is... Our King is coming for his people. And when his kingdom will be established from sea to sea, every tear will be wiped away, loved ones. Every tear will be wiped away. Every fear that continually cripples you and I will be crushed. It will be crushed. There will be no more anxiety. There will only be shalom. There will only be peace. In God's kingdom, from sea to sea, there will be no sin. There will only be holiness, blessing, righteousness, and justice because that is who God is. That's who the psalm is pointing to. The greater David. And do our lives reflect a living in light of that day that's coming in our witnesses? Because the reality is God's kingdom is advancing through this world right now. And do our lives, this is the commission we've been given as followers of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, our great commission. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And I just think of this witnessing outreach we did yesterday where literally my seven-year-old son takes a stand for Jesus Christ with a package of 200 tracks. He's scared as anything. But he goes out in faith. We pray together. He goes out in faith. And he sees the first person. He's like, happy Canada Day. He gives this track and you see these people who are walking by. And I just was like, Lord, bless it. Bless it. And here he is, so scared and timid. And he's shaking. And this person looks and he's like, I don't want any of that. I don't want that. And you see his face go down. But then what the Lord did the other thousand people that are walking by that see this little kid with this note with the gospel on it, they go and you literally see the Holy Spirit. I'm walking out of my light. You literally see the Holy Spirit do this. And they turn and I looked and there is my son standing for the Lord with probably 150 people around him. Being like, can I have some? Can I have some? Can I have some? Why? Because the Spirit of God is giving them a glimpse of eternity. The longing in their heart that says, I want the shalom. What's going on here isn't working. There's a greater David that's coming back for his people. And I need to know him. Because I have no hope without him. And here they are. Realize there's a hunger in every human heart for the return of Christ and his dominion from sea to sea. It's there. Are we living lives in the fear of the Lord to pursue it and do what he says in the power of the Spirit? Because he's fulfilled every part of every one of these prayers in this psalm perfectly. In his coming kingdom, get this, his perfect character will govern in perfect and righteousness. Perfect justice and righteousness. His perfect care. Look on the screen. It says this, Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. This rock, his work is perfect. Love that. His work is perfect. For all his ways are ju justice. All his ways are justice and wisdom. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, that is sin, just and upright is he. That's our king that's coming. Everyone his perfect character governs in perfect righteousness. Next, his fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord that Jesus Christ has will endure for all time. Look at Isaiah 11.3. And his delight, this is talking about Christ, I love it. His delight shall be in a fear of the Lord. His reign will be like showers that water the earth. And lastly, his perfect character will govern in perfect righteousness and justice. His fear of the Lord will endure for all time. His kingdom will advance throughout the whole earth and his glory will be seen from sea to sea. When this happens, Philippians 2.11, love this, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen, church? Come on. That is what is coming. And I urge you with everything that I can today in the power of the Holy Spirit to live in light of that day. Let your lives by the power of the Spirit reflect the coming kingdom which will be established from sea to sea. Amen? Amen? Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your son, God, we thank you 
for how you are sovereign over this world. We thank you for the commission you have given us to live in the fear of you and to pray for our leaders that represent us, knowing that as we do so and walk in the fear of you to honor them, it is just a glimpse of the coming kingdom when we will do that for eternity. Our perfect king is on the way. Your promise is steadfast and will not ever change. And so, Lord, I pray for those that have never confessed you as their Lord and Savior, that today, the Bible is so clear, today would be the day of their salvation. Father, I pray that they would be done with this rat race, done with trying to put their hope in things that will never give them hope. But Father, put their hope and faith in you entrusting you as their Lord and Savior. And for those who have, God, I pray we would be filled with great faith today. We would be brought to repentance of those areas where we are not living in a fear of the Lord in our lives, where we are not passing on a godly heritage to the next generation of how you desire to see your glory in this nation now through our lives as a picture of the nation that is to come. So Father, as we sing this anthem, God, I pray you would be all to us all to us, Father, and that the measure of our lives would be the picture of the saving love of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.